All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus and to all of you guys that are joining us online. So a couple things uh, before we get started. Um, so you guys have been seeing through the announcement videos or maybe on Facebook or as you walk in uh, that we're doing this thing called Grow Night. Uh, and the idea of Grow Night is to further the discipleship here at Life Church give people an opportunity that maybe have never been into uh, community before, an opportunity to be able to get to know uh, people through community. And it's a class format, so it's in things that uh, you're interested or things that you might be excited about. So lots of opportunities uh, are coming. Uh, and we have a special opportunity today because one of the classes that we're going to be doing is called Grow and Tell Evangelism. Um, and so uh, Jim, who I'm going to introduce here in a second, we had talked a long, long time ago how there's a huge need inside of the church to be able to learn to share the gospel. Like we tell people, hey, you should share the gospel with your friends or hey, you should, you know, uh, go out and share it with other people. And uh, it's so good listening in the first service how we as a church know that we want to do it, but maybe we're not equipped, you know. And so go and tell is one of the classes that's going to, the class that's going to teach us, but one of the classes inside of the discipleship program. Also, if you have children, uh, grades two to fifth grade, there's also going to be discipleship classes going on at the same time. So if you want to be able to bring your kids, if you're signed up for one of those classes, uh, you can be able to bring them and they can also do discipleship classes during that time. So it's awesome to be able to introduce our guest speaker today, Jim Halstead, who's going to be teaching us about Go and Tell Ministry. So he is the founder and president. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thanks, Mike. Uh, if you don't know, I, my son is married to Mike's daughter, Alexa. They're in the front row. And uh, Mike has uh, been a great blessing. You know, one thing, all three of my kids are married, and they've all married well. And through the Hill family, I've learned to love volleyball. So I appreciate that, Lex. And, uh, but also, uh, I, I got to thank Mike. I taught Stephen to uh, shoot a jump shot, and Mike taught him to shoot a gun. And so I feel he's very more well-balanced in life with that. So thank you, Mike, for that. Um, you know, what, what I'm going to talk about today, I, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I've taught special education for over 10 years. And Jesus' words in the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. As I get older, I've realized that is life. That just sums up how we're supposed to live. And I'm going to be sharing some special education stories today with some students I've had in the past several years, and just want to let you know I'm, I'm changing their name for confidentiality's sake. But what, what I've learned in teaching and, and pastoring, I've realized the truth of, of loving others. You know, I taught junior high several years ago, and uh, I was leaving to take an elementary school, and my junior high kids, I, I kind of jokingly told all of those kids one-on-one uh, -on -one that you're my favorite student. Kind of meant it, but they're, they all kind of knew that. And so when I left my junior high class wrote me a card. On the front of the card, it says, we just want you to know that we're going to miss you. Then you open it up. It had all of their names, and they basically said, I'm your favorite student. Then someone said, no, I'm your favorite student. The other one says, no, he never liked you. He liked me, and they're doing that. But you open it again. On the front of the card, it says, we just want you to know that we're going to miss you. And then you had all the signatures, and then it said in bold print, but that doesn't necessarily mean we liked you. And if there's ever a true junior high card, that has to be the junior high card I really loved. 
But one of the most touching moments, I, I taught special ed last year, kindergarten to second grade, and, and I had a, a child with autism, kindergarten student, only came half day, and um, he was having to get new routine. When I, when I got him, he was new to the SPED program, so he's very quiet until he got to know you. And I can remember uh, that first week, he really didn't say anything to me, and one of them got to be the end of the week. I literally got on my knees to zip up his coat, getting him ready to, to go catch the bus, and I looked at him in his eyes while I was on my knees, and I said, Matthew, I just want you to know I love you. And I always remember his first words to me were, Mr. H, I love you. <laughs> I always remember because everything's about relationships. And then I had to ask him, can you help me up? I can't get up yet, Michael. And, <laughs> and he helped me up. And what the, the verse we're going to look at today deals just with that is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith being expressed through love. Before we look at that, I, I want to pray. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, as we come this, this morning and we just ask your anointing of the word, I ask through that you would speak to hearts and raise up workers for your harvest field. And Father, I ask, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, as again, as I summed up, the great commandment is, is really the purpose of life. And as we look at this verse, just three things I want us to look at. We're literally breaking down this verse. The only thing that counts, the only thing that is in importance. Again, the question is, what is life? And, and I don't think any other question shows that than to ask you this question. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? You know, as you begin to think of that question, you begin to think of the people maybe you would call upon or the people you'd want to meet with, the list of activities to do with those people, maybe a legacy, what you would say to them to ask for forgiveness or the legacy of the blessing. Maybe you've heard the, the saying, old saying, you need to live every day as if it's your last because when you begin to ask that question, to live every day if it's your last, or what would I do in the last 24 hours, what you don't talk about are things. You don't talk about the lottery. You don't talk about riches. You only talk about relationships because you realize the purpose of life is having a relationship with God, and then it's relationship with others. And when you, when you think of this question, I literally don't know what I would do because I, I don't know, but I do know someone who had that question before them, and I know they answered it very well, it was Jesus. Jesus knew he had his last 24 hours, and if we look at his life, we see he exactly did the great commandment. He loved his Father, and he loved others. You know, in John chapter 13, on the Last Supper, you, you know the text, it says this, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world this was under 24 hours, and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Just pause. I, I often think the next verse should be he died on the cross, but it's not. That full extent of his love goes on to say the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning 
to God. So they got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew, and he loved his disciples. He was not only doing something to teach, but I think he was loving them. And, and I think when he was washing his feet, it, he was looking at them in their eyes. I think he was giving them blessings, and he was expressing the full extent of his love to them. Because you realize that only the important thing is relationships with others. And at the end of that supper, what does it say in John? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Maybe not to do it the last 24 hours, but to live every day as if it's your laugh to what? To love others in word and deed. It's, it's really, to put it this way, to bloom where you're planted. I don't know where God has placed you. He's placed you in the neighborhood. He's placed you at a school. He's placed you at a job. He's placed you with a family. He's placed you where you like to maybe go to a coffee shop or to eat. But He's placed you in a place where you have relationships, and He wants you to love those people where He has placed you. As I told you, I taught junior high, and several years ago, I, when I taught junior high, I had a student by name. I'm going to call him Adam. Adam. He was an eighth-grade student was the most purest, truest athlete I think I've ever met. He was like 6'1", 185, built like a rock, but never played on any teams. He came from a very dysfunctional background and family, had emotional disability, and just never had an opportunity. And I remember he came into class one day, and he was always talking about the football coach was begging him to play, and I was encouraging him to play. But he came in one day and said, hey, my mom said I could actually play, but we, we can't afford it. I've got to get a physical. And I can't get a physical first games in like three days. And when he told me that, just that day before, I had heard that my coach, my athletic director when I was in high school, who was instrumental of leading me to faith in Jesus, had just died. And I can remember thinking for Coach Mustin, I was going to send some flowers in honor of him. And then all of a sudden, Adam said, yeah, if I could get a physical, I think I could, I could play football. And I, I remember thinking, you know, there's nothing more than Coach Mustin would want me to do than to pay for his physical so he could play football. So I talked to the, the school's athletic director who got him his physical. I remember he came in that next day all excited. He couldn't believe someone did that for him. I was like, oh, I'm so happy for you. So his first game was two days later. I actually volunteered to be on the ground crew, I, you know, the 10-yard sticks, and we're on the visitor side, and he rushed that day, I don't know, 15 rushes, almost 180 yards, and on the third rush, they gave it to him, and again, he was just a rock. <laughs> he ran over guys and ran for like a 70, 75-yard touchdown. When he got in the end zone, he's never played before. He didn't know what to do. So he did what he saw on Sunday. He spiked the ball, and he did a crazy dance. Well, all the flags went up. The, the visiting coach yelled, it's like the kids never played. And I'm like, well, coach, he hasn't <laughs> except for two days ago. He was sore. He was so excited that night. But then he told me, he goes, his favorite sport was basketball. 
And he had missed uh, going out for the team. And I actually, my son played on Spies' team in Fort Wayne, a travel team. I called the coach. I said, hey, we got a true athlete. If you coach him up, he could be good. We got him on that team. I began to meet with him after school, working him out. Stephen, who, my son who played at Grace College, actually worked him out. I remember you gave him that Grace shirt, and he wore it to school the next day and several days. And eventually, Adam looked at me and goes, Mr. H., why are you doing all this for me? I said, you know, Adam, I've been praying for you. His life's more about just school. It's about relationships. It's a relationship with God. And I began to ask him about his church background. I asked him a question. If you stood before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? He said, I have no idea what I would say. And we talked about sin. He admitted he was guilty, separated from God, going to hell. He had no idea what God had done for him on the cross. I share how Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, how he needed to repent, profess faith in Jesus, and that life was a relationship with him. And that afternoon, Adam prayed to receive Christ. Always rejoiced in that. He actually ended up moving to Indianapolis, and I've lost track of him. You see, wherever God has placed you, you want to bloom where you're planted because life's about relationships. And Jesus on this last 24 hours was not only loving his disciples, but who else did he love? He loved his father. Remember after that, after they left the Last Supper, they went into the garden to pray. And it says this, that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed to the Father, and what was the prayer is, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to love you. And this is in the midst of what? He was going to the cross. Maybe you've gone through some things in life, and it's, it's hard. Life is hard, and you've had struggles. You've had persecutions, hardships. God the Father is with you. And he's made you for a purpose, for his glory, to serve others. I remember years ago, I was pastoring a church, and I had, had resigned from that church. I was getting ready to go into teaching, but I had no other job. I was unsure what I was going to do in the future. Stephen, I think, was in around fourth grade. I had three kids at home. My wife was a stay-at-home mom, and I had no idea what my next steps were. Maybe you've been in that step. This was in March in 2006, and Stephen was playing in a basketball tournament in Maryville, and he was in the back seat watching a DVD player, and I'm driving, and while I'm driving to Maryville, I'm just praying in my spirit. I'm praying silently, just, God, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what my next job is. You've got to guide me for my next job. You've got to guide the directions. I don't know what's happening. And the Lord impressed upon my heart to look at my son. So I turned the rearview mirror, and I looked at him, and he's watching this DVD player. And the Lord, again, impressed upon my heart these truths. Jim, Stephen doesn't know where you're taking him. He doesn't know where Maryville is. He doesn't know where the hotel is. He doesn't know where the gym is. He has no idea how you're going to provide food for him. All he knows is this, that his father will take care of him. And I began to pray, and I thought of Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I began to praise God and thank him for that. I'm thinking of that verse. And the Lord impressed upon my heart again, look at your son one more time. I looked in the mirror, and right when I looked at him, he began to laugh. He was watching something, and he's laughing out loud. 
Always remember this. Then the Lord impressed upon me this. Again, I didn't know what my next job was. I didn't know what was going on in life. And the Lord says, Jim, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to enjoy the ride. Can you enjoy the ride not knowing where your future is, but you know because your Father is taking you there? You know, the only thing that counts is having a relationship with God and his relationship with others. And evangelistically, that is evangelism is relationships. And Jesus saw this at the last moment, last 24 hours, he was loving his disciples and loving others. And the next part of this verse says what? The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love, but it is faith. And it's just not faith in general. There's a lot of people that have faith in faith today. They just have faith things are going to work out. They just have faith things are going to be okay. But that is not true. There is a way that seems right to man, but it's a, in the end, it's a way of death. I don't know if you saw this story, but it was a true story. It happened just a month ago in the country of Colombia. hundred people were lined up that day to go bungee jumping. And there was the 90th person that was supposed to go, Yusina, and her fiancé were lined up, and they both had the harness on, and her fiancé had the harness on him, and they connected the bungee jump to him, and the guy that was out in front gave him the thumbs up, and he gave him the thumbs up because he's ready. He's going to go next. Then he looked at his fiancée, Yusina, and put the thumb up. All she had was a harness. She thought the thumbs up was it was okay, and she ran, and she jumped off. The autopsy showed she didn't die from the fall. She literally died of a heart attack falling. She sincerely believed that she was strapped in, and she was not. A lot of people have faith that they're going to go to heaven, heaven, faith that things are going to go right, faith in a different God, but their faith is false. It's not true. Faith is only in God and Jesus Christ, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. For salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. First Timothy says what? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, that is a man, Christ Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. Just last month, Christian Post shared this story. They did a survey of over 3,500 people. 3,500 people who claimed in the survey that they were born-again Christians. They didn't put church attenders. They didn't put evangelicals. They put born-again Christians. 60% of those people said this, Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad are all the same way to get to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. Salvation is only in Christ. Faith only in Him. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. They even asked Jesus that question, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. I know God has placed you in a place where you have friends who don't know Jesus. Do you grasp if they die today apart from them, they'd be separated from all of eternity? Do you grasp right now that they cannot have the peace of Christ that you experience right now? 
because salvation is only found in him and you have to be born again to get that new heart. John wrote that in 1 John where he said this, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. Purpose of life is having that relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is only in him. And so many people today have faith in anything but Jesus. You know, just a few months ago, I did a funeral for John. John passed away, was living in Marion. Matter of fact, we got to know each other. I preached at his church, and then later his son was one of my students, special ed students, gosh, 15 years ago, 12 years ago. And John was a part of our church after that. After that, he moved to Marion, and, and we had some contact. And then when he passed, his family wanted me to do the funeral. Probably one of the blessings was seeing his son give testimony at the funeral. One of the blessings of that, and then him, his son looking at me and just said, Mr. H., you always were my favorite teacher. <laughs> but, you know, when I did John's funeral, I, I didn't have, you know, I haven't talked to him a lot for the past four years. He moved. So I met with the family, and I decided I'm just going to go on social media and see what he wrote. How would you like if a pastor did that for your funeral? <laughs> well, in John's case, it exalted Jesus Christ. Every post was either about exalting Jesus, Bible verses, his love for his family, his love for others, sharing meal with others. It all exalted that. And he often talked about his bucket list, going on cruises, going to some concert with meals, but he had on his bucket list, and he always talked about it, was one thing. I want to go to heaven to see Jesus, and he wanted to see his mama again. You see, the only thing that counts is having faith in Jesus Christ, especially not only the last 24 hours, <laughs> but especially after you pass. It's not only that. The purpose of life is having a relationship with God. It's the only thing that counts is faith being expressed through love. You know, in that text we looked at in John chapter 13, the Last Supper, it was there that Jesus says in John 13, 34, and this is a command I give you, that you should love one another. And all men will know that you are my disciples, if what? If you love one another. That those outside of the church will know you my disciples if you love others in word and in deed to show love and grace. That's all throughout the Scripture. You know this text in 1 Corinthians, Paul's chapter, the love chapter. If I speak in tongues of man and of angels and have not loved, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not loved, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not loved, I gain nothing. <laughs> the only thing that counts is faith being expressed through love. You know, when, when you teach special ed, at least in... in mine in kindergarten to second grade, often you would be working with kids every half hour. So you would pick up a couple kids at their class, bring them to your room, and you'd work on some reading or some math. And so this, this past year I was, I was doing that. I picked up Jaime and I picked up Joseph. Now Jaime obviously was Spanish, and he spoke Spanish, spoke English, 
And also at our school, again, it was 50% Burmese population. We had five Burmese translators, two Spanish translators. So the kids heard a lot of languages. Joseph was uh, one of my students, had several palsy, also had a speech impediment. And I could understand him, his mom could understand him, and the speech teacher, but if you'd hear him talk, you probably wouldn't know what he's saying. But, but I knew every word after I had a relationship with him. So I've got Jaime and I've got Joseph, and we're waiting for Matthew to come out of his class. And Joseph is just a chatterbox. He's just talking to me, and I'm talking back with him. He's talking, I'm talking back. Then I look over at Jaime, he's kind of got his arms on his waist. Then he asked me this question. He goes, you speak his language. What's he thinking? That's not Spanish. That's not Burmese. That's not English. He goes, you speak his language. And I'm like, you are right, I do. Joseph looked at me and goes, what's he talking about, Mr. H? What language is he talking about? You see, Jesus wants us to speak what? The language of love with others, that they know in word and deed that we, we love people, that they see it. Maybe you've seen this before, the love languages. Famous tool. How many have seen the love languages have done a study on that? Several of you, the love language of, you know, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service. You know, and, and I posted this, this picture, physical touch was the other one. I posted this on social media six months ago, and my youngest daughter, who uh, also got married, Mike, I've got all my kids married now. That's, that's why I'm so happy and restful, Mike. Um, my daughter saw this posted on social media, and she, she, she wrote on it. She says, oh, Dad, I know what yours is. Yours is quality time. And I chuckled, and I wrote back, no, honey, my, mine's words of affirmation. You, you think it's quality time because that's yours, and I made a point in spending quality time with you to love you. And then she wrote back, my words of affirmation, I love you, Daddy. See, people need to be loved. People need to be encouraged. People need to be helped. And as you show the love and deed, it gives you a great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in word. Especially with this love. Because you see, a lot of people in the church today are not only not sharing the gospel in word, we're not known for doing it too well indeed. Jesus said that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is that will? <laughs> it's that faith in Jesus expressed through love. So one of the students I had last year, my last year as I taught, was uh, Mike. Mike was a first grade student with emotional disability. I got him because he was living with his dad and a stepmother in Michigan. Very dysfunctional household. They abused him, sold drugs. They got arrested. CPS got involved. They took him away from him. And they put him back with his mom in Fort Wayne who hadn't seen him for several years. His mom was on disability living in probably the oldest trailer park in Fort Wayne near the school I taught in the oldest trailer. And Mike had emotional disability, a first grader who went through more trauma than I probably can ever imagine. In that first week of school I had him, I noticed a couple things. Even though our school gave free breakfast and free lunch, he was always hungry in the afternoon. And I would share some of my lunch with him. I, after that first day, I'd keep my lunch out and I'd share my lunch. And at the end of the week, I called his mom, Mary. 
I said, hey, Mary, it's Mr. H, and uh, just want to update you on a couple things. Just have a few questions. She goes, yeah, Mr. H, and I so, you know, I, I noticed Max is hungry. In the afternoon, I've been sharing my lunch. I know you're on disability. I know you haven't had him for a while. Mary, are you needing help with food? And she paused and gently said, yes, Mr. H. I said, Mary, I've noticed also he's come to, come to school ready to go, but I've noticed he's worn the same shirt, the same pants, and the same underwear all week. Are you needing help with clothes? She goes, well, Mr. H, I didn't think the school helped. I said, well, you know, they help in some ways, but I'm also known as Pastor Jim. I help. I said, if you want, let me do this. How about every couple weeks, I'll just come to the house, bring you a couple bags of groceries and a bag of clothes, and uh, we can help with this. And, oh, Mr. H, thanks so much. So that's what I began to do. I told my principal what I was doing, and after school, I would go and visit the family. After that next got into September, the refrigerator broke, and my wife found a refrigerator, and we delivered a refrigerator on a Saturday to the family so they could eat. Got to October, I delivered some groceries, and I started asking her about her church background. She didn't really have much of a church background, and I asked her if I could ask her spiritual questions. She said, yes. I said, if you were to stand before God and he'd say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And she kind of gave a works answer. Through that conversation, we talked about sin, for all of sin, fall short of the glory of God. We talked about separation of God. She admitted she was guilty, separated. She didn't know what God had done for her. I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with her. I died on the cross, rose from the dead, and she needed to repent, profess faith. She thanked me and then brought up, I, I really, thanks, Mr. H., but I really want Max in church. So I called another pastor friend who literally, his church was a mile down the road. I clocked it. He visited her, shared the gospel, and asked him to go to church. And They never went, but he explained the gospel. Got to be November, Max is spiraling out of control, he's having so much trauma. We decided he had to go on a half day at a case conference meeting, so she agreed with it at a case conference. So on a Friday morning, I went to the house, had some groceries. Here's some groceries for you, Mary, and if you could sign this IEP paper, she signed it beginning on Monday. The bus will pick him up at 9 and bring him home at 12. Thanks so much, Mr. H. Monday came, and Mike didn't make it to school. He never missed. Principal calls me at the end of the day, and even as a 60-year-old man, you get called in the principal's office, you get scared. <laughs> so I sit down, and she goes, and the principal knew everything I had done. She goes, Jim, just have a seat. I don't know how to tell you this. I've told the other teachers that worked with Mike, but I'm just going to tell you, Mary died yesterday. CPS is involved already. They moved him to another home in a different county. You're never going to see him again, and I know you did so much for the family. She goes, are you Okay. And I literally, what you said, I went, oh. And I'm sitting down. She looked at me again and said, are you okay? And I literally said this to my principal. I said, Renita, Max was hungry. I fed him. Max needed clothes. I clothed him. The family's refrigerator broke. We got him one to feed the family. I shared the gospel with Mary, asked her to repent, to receive Christ. I actually called another pastor who visited a family, shared the gospel with them, and asked them to repent and receive Christ. I go, when I stand before God on behalf of Mary, I think I'm going to be okay because I really don't know what more I could have done to share Jesus with her. The principal looked at me and said, oh my, no other teachers responded that way. And I said, well, I just assumed when you asked if I was okay, you meant before God. 
And she said, and that's why we like having you as one of our teachers, Mr. H. You know, I've talked to Mike. The church is not okay right now. Statistics show 80 to 90% of people in the church have never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. 89% of people do not know how to explain the gospel of salvation to someone else and ask them to repent. Majority of the church is concerned about themselves and they're not trying to need only the physical needs of others, but there's no concern on their spiritual needs. I have led soup kitchens in Florida. I've led addiction recovery groups in prisons. I've uh, done mentoring with ex-offenders. All of that is mute if I wouldn't have shared the gospel with those I'm working with because I guarantee you every one of those persons I helped feed, I helped clothe, was going to die within 50 or 60 years. And apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. The goal of Go and Tell Ministries is one thing, is to equip the church to share the gospel. And you learn in a simple format. If you take the course, you're going to realize he was a special ed teacher. <laughs> you learn simple truths and tools to be equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. Because Jesus said these words, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the one at least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The church's great commission the one commission is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are perishing, to share it in deeds, but also to clearly explain the gospel. I'm going to ask the worship team to come in now, and as they come back in as we close, C.T. Studd, you might not have heard of him, but he was a famous cricketer player, played cricket in England. He was the Michael Jordan of his time from a wealthy family. He gave it all up to go to China to share the gospel of Jesus Christ a hundred years ago. And he said this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You know, the only thing that counts, if you have 24 hours to live, stand before God, the only thing that counts is faith in Jesus Christ expressed through love by sharing the gospel with someone else. Are you equipped to do that? I pray you consider taking the go tell to be equipped and that God would raise up workers for the harvest field out of our midst. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and your love in Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be mindful. The only thing that counts is you. It's our faith in you and of sharing that faith with others so they too can know you. Father, I ask you to raise up workers for the harvest field in our midst, for the glory of your name. In your name we pray, amen. <laughs>
Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure.
Amen. Thank you, guys, for being with us. Go in peace. Have a great day.